Section 12 from Richard of Jamestown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Richard of Jamestown, A Story of the Virginia Colony by James Otis. Section 12. The Condition of the Colony. That he might have something to carry back to England, and not being minded to take on board a load of sand, Captain Nelson asked that the phoenix be laden with cedar logs and such clapboards as our people had made. Therefore was it that we sent to England the first cargo of value since having come to Virginia. Among those who had come over in the phoenix were workmen who understood the making of turpentine, tar, and soap ashes. There was also a pipe-maker, a gunsmith, and a number of our skilled workmen, so that had the council advanced the interest of the colony, one half as much as my master was doing, all would have gone well with us in Jamestown. As it was, however, the president of the council, so Master Hunt had declared many times, and of a verity he would not bear false witness, often countenanced that the men in rebellion against my master's orders, until, but for the preacher's example, we might never have put into the earth our first seed. Because of lack of food, and it seemed strange to say so when there were of oysters near at hand more than a thousand men could have eaten, and fish in the rivers without number, Captain Smith set off once more in the pinnace to trade with the Indians, as well as to explore further the bay and the river. Master Hunt lived in our house while he was gone. Therefore Nathaniel and I were not idle, and though we had each had a dozen pair of hands, we could have kept them properly employed, what with making a garden for our own use, tending the plants, and keeping house. TOBACCO Just here I'm minded to set down that which the girl Pocahontas told us concerning the raising of tobacco, and it is well she spent the time needed to instruct us for since then I have seen the people in this new world of Virginia getting more money from the tobacco plant than they could have gained even though Captain Newport's yellow sand had been veritable gold. You must know that the seed of tobacco is even smaller than grains of powder, and the Indians usually plant it in April. Within a month it springs up, each tiny plant having two or four leaves, and one month later it is transplanted in little hillocks, set about the same distance apart as our hills of Indian corn. Two or three times during the season the plants have to be hoed and weeded, while the sickly leaves, which peep out from the body of the stalk, must be plucked off. If the plant grows too fast, which is to say, if it is like to get its full size before harvest time, the tops are cut to make it more backward. About the middle of September it is reaped, stripped of its leaves, and tied in small bunches. These are hung under a shelter so that the dew may not come to them, until they are cured the same as hay. Having thus been dried, and there must be no suspicion of moisture about, else they will mold, the whole is packed into hogsheads. I have lived to see the days go by since the girl Pocahontas showed Nathaniel and me how to cultivate the weed, until the greatest wealth— which Virginia can produce, comes from this same tobacco, which, Master Hunt says, not only induces filthiness in those who use it, but works grievous injury to the body. Captain Newport's Return 
When Captain Newport came back to Virginia, at about the time we were gathering our scanty harvest, his dreams of sudden wealth through the digging of gold in Virginia had burst as does a bubble when one pricks it. He had not been more than four-and-twenty hours in England before learning that his ship was laden only with valueless sand, and mayhap, if the London Company had not demanded that he return to Virginia at once, with certain orders concerning us at Jamestown, he might have been too much ashamed to show his face among us again. My master had come in long since from trading with the Indians, having had fairly good success at times, and again failing utterly to gather food. The King Powhatan was grown so lofty in his bearing, because of the honor some of our foolish people had shown him, that it was well-nigh impossible to pay the price he asked, even in trinkets, for so small an amount as a single peck of corn. However, that which Powhatan did or did not do, concerned me very little when Captain Newport had arrived, for he brought with him such tidings as made my heart rejoice, and caused Master Hunt to say that now, indeed, would our village of Jamestown grow as it should have grown had our leaders shown themselves of half as much spirit as had my master. But for the greater things which followed Captain Newport's arrival in September of the year 1608, I would have set it down as of the utmost importance to us in Jamestown, that he brought with him the first two women, other than the girl Pocahontas, who had ever come into our town. These were Mistress Forrest and her maid, Anne Burris, and if the king himself had so far done us the honor as to come, his arrival would have caused no greater excitement. Gazing at the Women Every man and boy in the settlement pressed forward eager to touch the garments of these two women, as they came ashore in the ship's small boat, and I dare venture to say that we stared at them, Nathaniel and I among the number, even as the savages stared at us when we first landed. It would have been more to my satisfaction had there been two maids, instead of only one and her mistress, for it was more than likely servants could tell Nathaniel and me many things about our care of the house, which a great lady would not well know. Therefore, as I viewed the matter, we could well spare fine women, so that we had maids who would understand of what we, as houseboys, stood mostly in need. However, it was not with these women, who were only two among seventy, that had come with Captain Newport on this, his third voyage, that I was most deeply concerned, and how I learned that which pleased me so greatly, shall be set down exactly as it happened. Master Hunt Brings Great News I had been down at the landing-place, feasting my eyes upon the ship which had so lately come from the country I might never see again and was trying to cheer myself by working around the house in the hope of pleasing Captain Smith, when Master Hunt came in with a look upon his face such as I had not seen since the sickness first came among us, and without thinking to be rude, I asked him if it was the arrival of the women which pleased him so greatly. "'It is nothing of such fanciful nature, Richard Mutton,' the good man replied with a smile, though I must confess that it is pleasing to see women with white faces, when our eyes have beheld none save bearded men for so long a time. What think you has been done in the council this day, since Captain Newport had speech with President Ratcliffe? Verily I could not so much as guess what might have happened, for those worshipful gentlemen were prone at times to behave more like foolish children, than men upon whom the fate of a new country depended, 
and I said to Master Hunt much of the same purport. "'They have elected your master, Captain John Smith, President of the Council, Richard Mutton, and now for the first time will matters in Jamestown progress as they should.' "'My master, President of the Council, at last!' I cried, and the good preacher added, "'So it is, lad, and I know full well, having just come from there.' "'But how did they chance suddenly to gather their wits?' I cried with a laugh, in which Master Hunt joined. "'It was done after Captain Newport had speech with Master Ratcliffe, and while I know nothing for a certainty, there is in my mind a strong belief that he brought word from London Company for such an election to be made. At all events, it is done, and now we shall see Jamestown increase in size, even as she would have done from the first month we landed here, had Captain John Smith been at the head of affairs. The good preacher was so delighted with this change in the government, that he unfolded all his budget of news, forgetting for the time being, most like, that he was not speaking to his equal, and thus it was I learned what were Captain Newport's instructions from the London Company. CAPTAIN NEWPORT'S INSTRUCTIONS He was ordered, if you please, not to return to England without bringing back a lump of gold, exploring the passageway to the South Sea, or finding some of Sir Walter Raleigh's lost colony, of which I will tell you later. But whether he did the one or the other, he had been commanded to crown as a king Powhatan, and had brought with him mock jewels and red robes for such a purpose. To find a lump of gold after he had brought to England a shipload of yellow sand. To crown Powhatan king, when, to our sorrow, he was already showing himself far more of a king than was pleasing or well for our town of James. Forgetting I was but a lad, and had no right to put blame on the shoulders of my leaders and betters, or even to address Master Hunt as if I were a man grown, I cried out against the foolishness of those people in London for whom we were striving to build up a city, saying very much that had better been left unsaid, until the good preacher cried with a laugh. We can forgive them almost anything, Dicky Mutton, since they have made our Captain Smith the head of the government in this land of Virginia. And now I will tell you, as Master Hunt told me, the story of this lost colony of Roanoke which the London Company had commanded Captain Newport to find. You must know that English people had lived in this land of Virginia before we came here in 1606, and while it does not concern us of Jamestown, except as we are interested in knowing the fate of our countrymen, it should be set down, lest we so far forget as to say that those of us who have built this village are the first settlers in the land. End of section 12